What's up, everybody? It's April Justine with Bloods by Design, and you are listening to Strictly Shorties, everything you need to know about blood pythons and short tails. So last week, we talked about breeding and incubating and hatching babies, and this week, we are going to talk about actually setting up your babies and then how to pick holdbacks for the look that you are are wanting and envisioning in your head. So I am super excited that I have Nick Botini with me from Cold-Blooded Earth, and you'll know him for recently. He has that pied that he's been showing off, so he has pied blood python. He has beautiful golden eyes, and you may know him as the only or one of the only all blood python short tail breeder. That's all he does, and that is how he makes his living. Um, if you just heard that crash, that was my cat crashing. <laughs> um, so... Uh, a warning for the podcast is my cat is around, so you're going to hear it. So I apologize. I cannot edit that out. It is way too hard. Uh, but anyway, uh, Nick, how are you today? Hey, April. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I got the dogs out with me too, so you might hear Yeah, some we're going to have some background noise today. <laughs> <laughs> and that is absolutely okay. All right. So to start this out, can you kind of tell us about your history with short tails and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I probably got my first short tail uh, going on 15 years now. And uh, I had a diverse collection for a long time. Um, you know, 1.1 of, I had Timor pythons, olive pythons, bowlings. Um, had a little bit of success breeding green tree pythons and, I don't, you know, a lot of different stuff. Um, but I just really, really enjoyed working with the blood and short tail pythons. And I always wanted to make a go of doing this full time. And to me, um, having a focused collection, uh, made that made a lot more sense to me. Um, you know, I know guys like Ryan Young do a fantastic job of, of breeding a lot of different species, but for me, I really wanted to focus on what I thought was the, the perfect, you know, pet snake, um, in, in blood pythons, you know, a great size. They're absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, they're pretty easy to get going. You know, they just, they checked all the boxes for me. And so I made that transition. And then about five years ago, I decided to leave the zoo business and, and go full time um, as a, as a blood python breeder. Which I think is absolutely awesome. And I am on the same lines as you with narrowing my collection to basically only short tails. That's all that I really work with. I have some corn snakes here and there, but you know, it's mainly just that, um, because I agree, they're absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they're great, you know, and, and there's so much to do with them. And the potential is so is so big. And, you know, it just gives you a lot more ability to focus, you know, and, and develop some projects and, and do some things that otherwise you couldn't because you'd be utilizing that space for something else. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone go follow him, go follow Cold Blood Earth on Instagram, Facebook, because he is posting fabulous pictures. You're having an amazing season so far. And, you know, that Sunder project is making some crazy things for you. And as always, you have crisp, clean babies. So take a follow for for Nick, because he really is just, you know, knocking it out of the park. You really are. You're doing an amazing job with all these animals. Well, thank you. Yeah, this season uh, turned out better than I could have imagined. And, you know, it's fun being able to see these projects all the way through and, and, and really, um, you know, just see the, the work that you've put in pay off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And how's your season going? Oh, let's see. Um, 
I had three clutches on the ground. One was a, a Sumatran pairing that uh, back in February, uh, I got stuck in a cold freeze and lost power for a couple of days. And I don't know if that affected her eggs or not, but they were very weak when they came out. But they're still, they're about a month in and two thirds of them are doing pretty, pretty good. Um, and then I've had my Borneo babies hatch. I had my CBE stripe babies hatch. So that's exciting. Um, some of those stripes. Dude, they're crazy. <laughs> Some of those stripes I got are nuts. <laughs> really beautiful. That project works so well with T negative. Yes, yes. And I only did I got um I did a het to a het. So mm-hmm. I only got three T negatives. One of them is like partially striped. Um and then another one has even less striping, but the color, there's so much white in it. It's just really, really neat. So I'm excited for whoever gets those babies when they grow up. I think they're gonna be absolutely fabulous. So I'm, I'm excited for that. And then, uh, one of the, the normals is so dark, like out of the egg, like, like almost like a chocolate Brown. And I know it's not Brown, but man, it was dark. So I'm just excited to see what that one's going to look like. Cause I honestly have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun to raise that clutch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's about as far as, as we're going here with, you know, my season, um, I'm trying for the T negative pixels, but, uh, my boutique, she's she I don't know she kind of looks like she may have eggs and it's really late in the season here at my house for anyone laying so I'm not really I don't have high hopes for it but you know they may surprise me I don't know uh she's still eating though so (laughs) yeah she like she has like kind of her body looks kind of like she may have it but she's still eating and doing all the things that you know a non-gravid snake would do so I'm I'm not really sure exactly what's going on with that (laughs) I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Thank you. Thank you. If not, there's always next year. So that's you know. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in no rush. So it doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, there's not a whole lot of that T negative pixel stuff around. So it's not like you're, you know. Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone that, uh, with Micah actually, and like, it, are T negative boutiques like, is that just something that is just going to be hard to have? Because honestly, I think Mark. I saw one from Mark. I have pictures with it. So I know he had one. I know there has to be more floating around, um, but you hardly see them. So and I know people are trying for it. It's just, I don't know. I'm kind of perplexed. There has to, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, you know, and, and there's just not a lot of this stuff floating around, you know, like in our core group of people, they've got them and stuff, but in general, there's just not a lot of these animals floating around. So, you know, I don't think we see the, the numbers that you would see in some other species. Which, honestly, I'm not mad about. <laughs> I'm not mad about that. Oh, oh, man. All right. So we talked about, you know, what's going on over here with babies. So let's talk about how we set up babies when they come out okay. of the egg. Because I'm, I'm curious that, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat. Uh, so what ways have you set them up previously? And, you know, what have you decided is your best way and, and your best method for setting babies up? So I've tried all kinds of things, you know, setting them up on uh, cypress or sphagnum right away or, um, you know, I right now I use I go to I go to paper. So when the snake first emerges from its egg, I set it up in um, a low amount of tepid water and let it soak for about 24 hours. Uh, It's all the egg stuff off of it, cleans it all up and it allows it to get, you know, real hydrated. And then I switch it over to the ARS baby tub. Um, with the eight ounce water bowl and uh, paper and then a paper hide. So everything I can just clean out, you know, baby blood pythons are some of the messiest snakes there is. 
Yes, they're um, disgusting. Yeah, they are. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> one of the aspects of them that's not low maintenance is, is when they're babies until they're about a year old, I'd say. Yeah, um, but I just try like and keep it day. real, you know, real simple. Um, and if I have any problematic feeders, I'll switch them over to damp sphagnum where they can bury and hide. And that um, oftentimes gets their their appetite going. But um, I have pretty good success just keeping them that way. You know, one of the things I will say is that I, you know, I keep my snakes in a separate building. So um, I'm able to control the humidity and the temperature um, a lot better than you would say, you know, in a spare bedroom. So that may have something to do with the, my ability to keep babies on paper without them drying out. So what humidity is your building at? Um, mostly, yeah, it's, you know, between 60 and 70%, you know, in the wintertime it drops, but I run humidifiers and, and, and can spray the floor down with water and, and get the humidity going. So, you know, it's between 60 and 70%. How nice would it be just to spray the floor? (laughs) (laughs) That is is goals right there, Nick. (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, let let it evaporate and it brings the humidity up in that space. So, but again, you know, our winters in South Carolina aren't too terrible, you know, so, um, it works out really well for, for that. So again, everybody's setup's going to be different, you know, and, and this is just what works for us in our space. So it may take a little, um, you know, fine tuning to get, to get it exactly right. What would you recommend for someone who has their babies in a room? Uh, it depends, you know, depending on the room, um, you could go with damp sphagnum, you know, that's a really great medium. Um, it keeps the humidity up in that tub. They can bury in it and feel very secure. And, um, you know, again, if you're using opaque tubs, you're just going to want to make that baby snake feel as secure as possible. You know, they're, they're a nervous snake when they're, when they're small, they absolutely are. And, and they're very in tune to their surroundings. So you want to make sure that they feel very secure and, um, I also offer a, a hot spot to my babies, right? You know, 85, 86 degrees, um, you know, right away. So, and they do utilize that. All right. See, yeah, I use, um, Kara told me about, well, I mean, I knew they were there, but at Home Depot for plants, they have, um, the little plastic saucer dishes to catch, you know, the water and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just turned that into a baby hide and cut a little opening out of it. Um, and that way, you know, they're a little bit more secure because like you said, if they don't feel secure, they're likely not going to eat for you. Right. Um, so that's what I tried. I did that last year and I'm doing that again this year. Um, and I haven't started feeding trials yet, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect solution for it. You know, it's cheap. They're easy to clean. You know, that's the big thing with them. That's why I, I just use a paper hide. I fold it up a few times so it has some weight to it and, and put it over the, the warm end of the cage and, and, you know, anything that you can just easily clean because they are messy is, is the big thing. Yes, yes. And definitely you want to check them daily because yes. they can make a mess. And then with the humidity where it's at that mess, especially in the summer when generally when people are hatching babies, um, I know summer's here, things will mold very quickly. So you want to clean it up, you know, just as quick. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, one of the interesting things with blood pythons is they don't shed for about the first three months of their life. So I know it's so frustrating. I just want to <laughs> see. <laughs> it's really bizarre, you know. They're they're quirky little snakes, and and so that's something for people that you know they have to get used to as well. Like you know, you can't wait until that first shed to start feeding because they'll, you know, that would not be good. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and speaking of, you know, feeding, how long do you wait? Because I have heard so many different number of weeks because most people, most snakes, you know, they shed and then you feed them. Right. Well, these guys don't shed for three months. So right. when do you start feeding? Right about the two week mark. Okay. Um, I've had some snakes eat as early as three days out of the egg. Um, but that two week mark seems to be pretty good. It gives them time to, you know, settle in, absorb the rest of the, the egg yolk in their bellies, and then, you know, get an appetite going. So I usually try right around the two week mark. And then for you, do you do frozen? Do you start with rats? Do you start with mice? What's your I start with, um, with, with live rat pups. Um, fortunately my, uh, rat supplier, um, Carolina rodents is, is, uh, is right here near me and, and he delivers me uh, all my feeders. So I'm able to get a good steady supply of various sizes, you know, rat pups, um, essentially. So I can pick and choose from there. So it, it works out really well for me. I've, I've tried, you know, I've done frozen in the past and tried to start them like that, you know, at nighttime with the headlamp on and everything, <laughs> having access to the, the live whenever I need it, um, has been really, really great. I can't thank Andrew enough for being able to do that for me. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. Having, I also have someone very close. I have rodent shack, um, Carl, he gives my feeders and, you know, most of the Memphis area, um, uh, snake owners here, he does the feeders for, I'll say most, not all, but, um, same thing I can get, you know, anything live if I need it. So that's absolutely wonderful to be able to have that. Um, do you find it challenging to switch them from live to frozen thaw? Cause you know, most pet owners want a, a frozen thought eater. Right now it's, it's really simple. Um, you know, I'll usually do two meals live and then, and then the third one I'll switch over and they take it right away. You know, it's, uh, once they get going they're they have quite the appetite. So it's, it's an easy transition. And I always make sure that, um, that anything that I'm selling is, is established on frozen before, you know, I, I offer them for sale. So it's just, you know, with the number of snakes that I'm hatching right now, being able to just do live is, is, uh, a big time saver as well. Yeah, I agree to that. Especially if you have ones that are more picky. And if I start trying with frozen thaw, I do not feed my corn snakes because I'm pretty sure that they're going to be getting a bunch of leftovers. Oh know? yeah. There's no <laughs> doubt. You need something in there. that's going to be able to clean up for you, you know? Yeah. And, and then if they don't eat, um, a, a rat pup, a live rat pup for the first two, I'll, I'll switch over to mice and that usually gets them, gets them going. You know, mice have a completely different smell to them and, and mm -hmm. they're a bit more active. So a lot of times that helps as well. Yep. And then if they ever get stuck on mice, um, what I've done before is, uh, once they're on frozen, go ahead and put a mouse with a rat in like a plastic bag. So the smell from the mouse goes on to the rat and that normally will switch them over to, uh, to yep. rats. So Absolutely. You know, they're, yep. they're, they're relatively easy to get started, you know, and, and 90% of my snakes don't give me any problems, you know, right out of the egg. So, you know, thankfully they're big, robust babies, you know, you're not tease feeding them pinky heads or anything. It's, it's, they're pretty easy. All right. So I have had before, um, I lost my train of thought cause my dog just stole a pillow from my bed and is playing with it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. I'm like, what is he Never doing? Dumb on. no kidding. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, gosh, what the heck was I going to say? <sighs> I can't even remember. 
That's okay. All right. We can, uh, do you have any other tips for, oh, I remember, I remember, um, babies. I've had some babies that get like little, almost like uh, skin blisters before they hatch and then they hatch and it all goes away and it's fine. Um, is that from too much moisture you think? Cause that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, that would be my assumption as well. Um, that just, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between relative humidity and wetness. Yes. You know, so you can have a very wet cage and it be, you know, the air actually be dry. So, you know, you, you just have to pay attention to them when they're, when they're tiny. And like you said earlier, you got to check them every day because they'll spill that water, they'll trash their cage and you don't want them sitting in that stuff. So that's probably all that is. Yep. And, and like I said, once they shed it, you know, it goes away that when they're babies and they, they haven't shed yet, they're, they're sensitive to, to the wetness, to the moisture. And then once they shed, it's like, all those problems just disappear and it's fine. And that, at least that's what I found. And I won't say all the problems disappear, but you know, you get to that one shed and they're much more hardy yes. than they were, you know, for that first three months. Yeah. And they're, you know, double or triple the size too. Yeah. No kidding. How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they go from that tiny little hatchling to that first shed and, and, and they're significantly bigger. Every year when they first come out the eggs, I'm like, oh, man, you really are that small when you start <laughs> off, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't last very long. You know? No, it really doesn't. Oh, it's so funny. Um, What about having, you know, babies out of the egg that are super aggressive or super yeah, scared? I would say more scared than aggressive because, you know, right. we're, we're big. <laughs> They're little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, some of them are. Even, even if you use parents that are, are easy to work with and – and um, you're going to get some some babies in, in the clutch that are just they're more nervous, they're anxious, they're more defensive. And um, those are those are snakes that sometimes you have issues feeding. Sometimes those are the best feeders, you know, so it, it's just going to vary. And, and over time, they'll, they'll settle down. And again, if you're checking your snakes every day, they get used to you relatively quick. But, you know, those high strong hatchlings like that, you're going to want to make sure you definitely provide a hide for and just, and just keep an eye on. Yep. That is a good tip right there. Um, what if they never calm down? Well, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, these are snakes and, Mm -hmm. um, how much work do you want to put in with it? You know, I think a lot of that lands on the keeper. Um, you know, cause even the, some of the most aggressive babies can become workable. You know, they may not be the snake that you, you know, sit and watch TV with, but they can become workable. And, uh, you know, you know, snakes in general, especially blood pythons, you know, snakes that hide in in the wild a lot, you know, it's, they want to be hidden. That's the whole thing. Right. So they don't want to be exposed and, and, um, you just have to approach them that way and, and, you know, keep your expectations, you know, in check, I would say, because, like I said, they're snakes. That's that's it at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And and when the episode with Kara, um, a few episodes back, we talked about the snake being able to sense your mood. And, you know, if you're frustrated with them, they are not as chill and not as nice. You know, if you're yeah, rushing exactly. them, they feel it and, and they react accordingly. Right. You're putting off, you know, whatever they're picking up, you know, so again, you know, a snake in, in, in the wild, especially a young one is prey for just about everything, you know? Yeah. And so you just have to be patient and, and, and 
you know, work with your animal. And, and I would say 99% of them become workable. You know, it's really, we're, we're very much past the days of those wild caught, um, you know, really angry, unworkable snakes, even, even our worst ones, you know, you can put the time in with them and, and get them to a place where you can handle them. Yes, I can attest to that. Uh, I need to put a video together. I have a video of the worst snake I have. Our dear friend Ryan gave me the worst snake I have ever had. <laughs> and he said, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know who did what to her. He's like, I didn't do anything. So I don't know why she's this way. Uh, but she, you could not touch her. You could not touch her with your hand. She would come at you open mouth and anything she hit, she would clamp down on. She would roll. She would do all these things just not to be messed with. Um, and I do have some pictures or some videos of that. And now, as long as I'm slow and mm-hmm. as long as I'm patient with it, I put my hand on her and she reacts and not in a good way, but she doesn't come at me. But I just leave my hand there. And then slowly I can go ahead and pick her up and move her. And then I have to do the same thing to move her back. So I don't have high expectations that she's going to be cuddly, but she's, like we said, workable. I can grab her now and move her out, clean her, do what I need to do and put her back. So, Yeah, exactly. And you got to a place where you know what you need to do to be able to make that a, a, a good interaction for that animal where it's like, okay, if I'm just, you know, if I just sit here and I'm good, she'll put me back, you know, um, And that kind of reinforcement is really good, you know, and, um, you know, one of the other things that, that when you ship a snake, you know, it could be the tamest snake for you and you ship it to somebody else. And that entire snake's world is flipped upside down. Everything Mm -hmm. smells different. The water tastes different. All the sights are different. You know, even if you have your, your temperature right and your cage right and your humidity right. That entire snake's world is flipped upside down. So you have to be patient with it, you know, and, and understand what it, it, it went through to get to you. Um, you know, we, we practice, you know, very safe shipping methods and the whole bit, but it's still, it's a lot for that animal to, to, to go through. And, and um, you know, I, I know some people can get frustrated with it. Oh, you said it was tame. Just give it some time. You know, you got to, you got to let that snake settle in. It's, it's, it's traumatic for that animal to be moved like that. You know, even, even if shipping goes perfectly and, and you have your cages perfect and, and everything seems right. It's just give that animal some time to settle in and get used to its surroundings before you, you know, get in there and start wanting to handle it and everything. Just let it, let it, you know, get used to that new environment because everything's different. So if you, you know, ship a snake to someone and they say, Hey, this snake is not what you said it was. What the heck's going on? You say, give it time. How much time are you, when you say that, what are you, what are you thinking for how much time is acceptable or realistic? And obviously every animal's different, but you know, how much time say, are you kind of thinking? I would say a couple of weeks and then get it feeding and then see where you're at with your animal, you know? And, and again, you have to just keep your expectations. Um, you know, realistic about everything. And, and, you know, a lot of times those animals do come around and become, you know, what they were for the breeder, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it can take a couple of weeks, you know, and the important thing is to get it in, leave it be and let it get started feeding. So when you purchase a new snake, um, be it you or one of your customers, how would you uh, advise them to set up their animal? So this animal maybe is about six months old at this point. Okay. 
um, as close to what I have, you know, if I'm selling it, um, as close to what I have. So, you know, a, a, a smaller tub, you want to be able to um, get it in, you know, shoebox size, maybe a little bit bigger. I know the ARS and Freedom Breeder tubs are a little bit bigger. Um, and, and that way that animal feels comfortable, you know, it can hide, it can, it can feel secure. And, you know, as that animal adjusts, you can feel free to move it often because you can always move it back down, you know, in tub size. So, uh, you know, paper, water bowl, hide, and just keep it simple so you can keep it clean and you can keep tabs on it, you know, as that animal goes through quarantine. And how long do you suggest quarantine to be? I do 90 days. And you have one building. So do you have a separate room in your building or do you have like a room in your house where you keep them? I'll do a room. I have a, a spare bedroom in the house where I'll set up um, animals if I get anything in. Yeah, and I know not everyone has that ability, <laughs> right? but, you know, that you know, would be key. <laughs> it's one of those things that if you don't have that option, you know, that new animal, that's the last cage you clean, you know, don't, you know, don't use the same feeding tongs with that animal. Anything you can do to, to mitigate um, cross-contamination, you know, if I have animals in quarantine, I do them at the very end of the day. I don't wear the same clothes or same shoes in in both the same spaces. So, um, you know, it's just, you just want to try to mitigate as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And it's not to say that like, don't trust the person you're buying the animal from, you know, Nick, if I were to buy from you, I would still do quarantine because some of these diseases and these animals and illnesses and, and viruses, they, they can hide and we might not even know that it's in the animal. Right. Yeah. I don't think, I, you know, it's not a personal thing. Um, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, you know, it's just, uh, it's good husbandry practice, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the same thing goes with, with sexing the animal, you know, you need to double check that, um, bloods can be notorious, um, you know, missexing, um, happens, you know, I wouldn't say often, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. And, you know, as a, as a keeper, as a good keeper, um, like Kara says, a conscious keeper, um, you want to be able to also verify that, that kind of thing. Yes. And I am very bad at popping. So I need to, yeah, <laughs> I need tricky. to be in a room of like a crap ton of babies <laughs> oh. <laughs> and just go over and over and over. Cause I have, I have a hard time like fully getting a male to, um, avert mm -hmm. or yeah. Is that the right word? Yes. Yeah. Invert or oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> to fully get his hemipenes out. Um, because like you were saying, females and males, their genitalia, kind of can look a little bit the same a little bit because the females also have set glands that kind of look like hemipenes. Right. Um, so that's, that's difficult. That's where my difficulty is, is like something will come out and I'm like, well, is it dark purple? I can't tell. Yeah, <laughs> so that's my exactly. issue. You know, you need a frame of reference point and, and, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, so, you know, mistakes like that do happen and, and it's just something, you know, you have to um, understand that that's, you know, until we can get, you know, DNA sexing or something like that, you know, with a shed skin or, or whatever. Um, that's just kind of where we're at with these where it, it does happen, you know, and, and there's, there's nothing you can really do except, you know, try and verify. And, and if you have an issue, just, you know, talk it out. 
Yep. And then, um, you know, I've had where, uh, I had a pair of missed sex snakes and I've told this story before and I thought I was feeding the quote unquote female, like female. And I was feeding the quote unquote male, like a male. So what I thought was a male was smaller. And then that male ended up being on eggs one day after <laughs> pairing them for a while. So I was like, Oh no. I mean, at least I got the ratio, right. You know, I had a male. Yeah, exactly. That's you, you good. Know, your mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's good. Um, I actually have, I have one in question now where I paired it with my male, uh, Borneo, it was a Borneo pair and, uh, they acted like two males. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to try again, but I don't know. And, you know, with, uh, with older adults, you know, they have more muscle control and it's, it's even harder for me to get the hemipenes out. So I'm going to have to have someone with muscles or something <laughs> come over and help me with that to figure, figure it out if we're going to pop it. But, um, something that I've kind of learned is just be flexible with your yes. plans and with your breeding plans. Yep. Um, because if you do end up getting an adult that is missexed, um, you know, don't, don't be crazy angry and, you know, you can be disappointed and frustrated and whatnot, but it's a common mistake. You know, you have some of the best breeders that have made this mistake and you have people just beginning that have made this mistake. So it's not like, you know, it's only going to be people that are just starting or, you know, whatever you can get it from, from anyone can make a mistake. We're all human here. Yeah, exactly. And if you are flexible with it, you know, if you buy an animal because it looks good and, and, you know, you can work it either way or, um, you know, you just prioritize the, the look over, you know, the sex, you know, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I don't care. But it's just like, you know, having that flexibility and, and being able to utilize that animal in a different way, you know, that's fine, too, because you've got the animal that, with the genes you wanted and the right look and, and the right temperament and all these things, you know, all the pieces came together except mm-hmm. that. And if you, you know, structure your collection where you can, um, you know, again, be flexible with it. I think that's really helpful, you know, and, and you bring up a really good point about sexing adults. That's, that can be really hard. You know, when they're babies, I sex them. When I take them out of that tepid water bath, that's when I sex them because they have very limited muscle control. Yep. You you don't want to wait. You want to be able to do it then. And then, you know, leave them alone and set them up and, and, and everything. But that's the, that's really the best time to do it. And it's almost real great when you have a really pissy one because they do it for you. Yeah, you don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, you don't do anything at all. Like, and oh, just, okay, cool. we'll yeah, just be warned when you're sexing babies, they probably will shoot pee at you. So, oh, just, there's no question. <laughs> be warned. Do don't wear your best your Sunday outfit. Yeah, and do it over a sink. You know, exactly. It's messy. Um, Easy cleanup. Yep. But popping oh, them when they're young like that definitely works well. Yeah. And, and even I, I did that with the babies that came out and I'm still questioning some. So, oh yeah. You know, I, I do too. Like, and you go right. back, you know, take a deep breath and, and, you know, get fresh eyes on it. And that's, that's very helpful. Right. Exactly. All right. My computer logged me out. So if I fully log out, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's telling me to use my pin and I don't know my pin. Oh, I do know my pin. <laughs> Look at that. I'm back logged in. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> I was like, Please. man, if my whole computer shuts off in the middle of this, I'm be kind of upset. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we're about at the halfway mark. So let's kind of transition the conversation to picking out animals for, you know, you mentioned the look, you know, if you pick out an animal for the look that you want, mm-hmm. these animals change so drastically from when they're a baby to when they're three or four years old. So how mm-hmm. do you know that this animal that, 
kind of brownish, kind of reddish? Like, how do you know that blood's going to be red? What, what kind of things are you looking for for a very red blood python? You're going to want to start with the parents. Um, you know, lineage is important. You know, Kara is so good about that aspect of, of her breeding program, you know, yep. and, and she can really, she's getting very consistent results within her clutches, which, you know, can be challenging with blood pythons because you'll get a wide spectrum, but she's really starting to narrow that down where she's getting really good consistency. Um, but you can go back and, and, you know, generations for, for some of her stuff, you know, and, and when, you know, you're looking for a red snake, that's important. You know, parents are definitely the best way to go. Um, and that works with anything, you know, um, if you want a red golden eye or, or, you know, a really crisp ivory, you know, that all translates through, through lineage, you know, so that's, that's one important aspect. And, and then again, um, you know, people are always like, well, which, which one would you pick? And I'm like, well, I don't have to clean and feed it, you know, so <laughs> which one do you like, you know, cause at the end of the day, that's what matters the most, you know, mm-hmm really, you know, look at them and go with your gut and, and, you know, because I, I might even like something different and you could look at that clutch and like something different, you know, I'll, I'll, I would hold back something different and, you know, the next person would pick something different. And that's, what's so great about blood pythons. You know, you get all yeah. these looks and there's something for everybody. And even if you look just in the blood Python Facebook group and you see the people who are breeding, like I can tell if it's one of your golden eyes, period, point blank. And I can tell if it is a CBE stripe. No, no problem. You know, um, I can tell if it's one of Kara's animals. Like you can tell different people because different people have a different eye for certain things and they go for certain things and like certain things. So with me, I'm stripey and I have on my normals, they have like the wash of kind of like a smoky look is what I like to call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of what I have. And almost everything in my collection has some sort of stripe going on. (laughs) And honestly, I didn't realize it until I was thinking about my breeding pairs for next year. I'm like, oh, man. I am stripe heavy. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, over time you'll be able to pick those out too, you know, and, and, and there'll be what catches your eye and, and that's what makes it so great. You know, it's like, there's, there's no one size fits all. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's see. What about, uh, Sumatrans? Uh, if you're wanting a super dark one, what kind of things are you looking for in a clutch? A uh, limited, you know, side pattern. You know, you want it, it with Sumatrans, it's it, again, you know, parents, uh, you know, that helps a lot, but yeah, mm-hmm. you just want limited pattern on them is, is pretty much a good indicator of how dark they're going to get. Cause over time that they lose that pattern. So, um, you know, anything that's like yellowish on the sides, um, you want to look for the, an animal that doesn't have any of that, you know, and, and, um, there'll be varying degrees within your clutches of how dark they actually get. And some, you know, come out quite dark, really yep. nice dark head. Um, but again, you know, some people like the, the contrast in the sides, you know, even on, on a dark background. So it just, it just varies. It just, it really is just the eye of the beholder. It, it truly, truly is. Um, are, are there any things that besides like picking out, you know, what, what attracts you? Obviously people are going to do that. But mm-hmm. if I, let's say T negatives, right. if I wanted a super saturated T negative, mm-hmm. what would you say? Like, how can I pick that out of a clutch? 
Yeah. So you're going to be able to answer that better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I find, I find it hard. I honestly do. Um, because I, I bred, uh, Jack, who's like my most saturated. He's like mm, 10, I think at this point, maybe 10 to 12. Um, it took him a good four years to get to this really deep, dark, rich color. Right. And, uh, I had a clutch with him. Um, and hold on one second. I had to yell at my dog to stop growling. Um, <laughs> I had, I, I bred him to actually the het T negative female that I got from you, uh, okay. who is beautiful red, like a brick red color. She's very beautiful. Um, and the babies now are about three years old and they look kind of like, like a Sherbert sunset kind of look to them. And mm-hmm. they're not matrix. Cause I know matrix will kind of make them look Sherberty. y um, right. So I'm just like, are you a late bloomer too? Or does Jack not throw what he is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which you is, know, is totally I mean, possible too. Right. Absolutely possible. You know, the CB stripe stuff takes a little bit to color up too. And then, you know, as an animal gets older, they just get better and better. But right around the four year mark is like, they really hit their stride. So it could just be an age thing. Um, you know, there's so many factors and it's, you know, again, I, I think that's where Kara, you know, really shines with this is the lineage and she's able to, to really trace that stuff. But with morph things, it can be a little bit, it can be different, you know, and, and who knows that those snakes in, in a shed could completely change. Yeah. And I will say that I have a lot of holdbacks, just T negatives, not mixed with anything. I have a lot of T negatives because I'm trying to see within my collection, what animals are throwing like what type of color saturation later down the line yep. and, and seeing and, if I can and duplicate that and whatnot with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, I think that's a great strategy, you know, and yeah, it, what I would look for would be, you know, crisp pattern, um, high white, you know, those things, anything that's going to set the contrast off is what I would look for and hold back T negative. Um, Cause that's where T negative really shines is it, with the contrast. Yeah. And we can get some crazy high white animals. Yeah. Which is just a really cool look. Yeah, it, it really is. And I do love, you know, the, the deep solid, like you said, crisp pattern. If you have that really crisp pattern, you have a solid deep red, but having that white that comes into it is just a really like Elijah's uh, comes to mind. He has a, a high white. I don't know if it's a male or female. I think it's a female. Cause I think he bred it this year. I love oh. that snake. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, you know exactly what I'm talking yep. about. It's such a cool animal. It um, is. And, and hopefully, you know, he can get more babies that kind of have that high white to it. So that'd be Absolutely. Cool. And, yeah. you know, part of, I, I don't work a ton with T negative, so I've been very um, strategic about what I wanted to do with it. And the first thing I did was put it into my CV stripe line because of the amount of blacks and, and darker colors right. that the CV stripes get. Um, so, so far I'm, I'm pretty happy with the results, um, that I've gotten from, from that and the consistency that that's thrown. Yeah. They have a lot of white, especially around, um, their, their striping. Right. It's almost like outlined in white, which is really, really cool. And, but if you look at the normals, it's almost like there's, there's black that's surrounding that area. So it makes sense that yeah, that would happen. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's what I liked about it, you know, is that to, to throw that contrast. So. That's where I really focused on my T negative stuff. So, what about with uh, your golden eyes? Because your golden eyes, the the babies for sure, and the adult, especially the T positives that you have, their pattern is so clean. How are you determining that 
front when they're babies to get that really clean pattern to then duplicate that later. With T positive, it's a little bit easier. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't, um, you can see the pattern a bit better, you know, than in your T negative golden eye, just because of, of the albino that's in there. So like I, like I was saying earlier, you know, I've just kept the stuff back that caught my eye, you know, the stuff that's, um, just different looking, you know, and that's, that's how I ended up with the Sunder project because I just kept a bunch of these snakes that look different and then brought them together and they popped out, you know? And, and so it's just whatever caught my eye in those animals, you know, um, again, the contrast, uh, between the lights and the darks, the purples and the oranges, you know, just looking for stuff like that, that, that sets one off from, from another. And, And not that those others are, bad or anything it's just whatever caught my eye in that clutch well you have a great eye my friend (laughs) (laughs) thanks Um, i've let some stuff go that i sure do regret i'll tell you that oh i'm sure every single one of us (laughs) (laughs) you know you see it in an updated picture oh (laughs) oh, geez but you know but then you at the same time you're so happy for the person that has that animal because you know that that they're excited to have that animal in their collection too so yeah and that's what makes it so much fun is being able to share that uh, you know with with other people that really appreciate these animals yeah yeah so here's a question about not just the sunder project but even like your stripe line and the different things that you have like how how did sunder come to be because did you just you said you had an animal that looked different Mm-hmm. Did this, the, is this like a little dinker project that just came to be like, <laughs> you know, like is, well, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, um, I think that the Sunder stuff may have come in with some of the original golden eye stuff, you know, way back in the day, or it was mixed in, you know, with albino or mm-hmm. something. It, it came in, a, you know, I didn't import these animals. So, um, yeah, it just ended up being that I was keeping these snakes that had a, you know, these golden eyes that had a lot of pattern. Because that's what I like to do with golden eyes, you know. Um, the more pattern they can have in them, the better the color and contrast is, you know, in my eye. So I just kept this stuff back and kept holding it back and holding it back. And and then I bred them, two of them together. Um, and you can read about it on my blog. Um and then these snakes popped out and they were like really different, you know? So it was, okay, well, something's going on here. Unfortunately, in the first Sunder clutch, I was able to hatch a normal without golden eye and the pattern was crazy. So it was like, okay, this is definitely something. And, and I went through and looked at all my stuff. And then I repeated that pairing this year and got the same results normal. That was, you know, its pattern was pretty crazy. So it's definitely there. You can, you can separate it from golden eye and, and, it, and it really changes the look of what a golden eye is because it just breaks apart that back pattern and, and lets all the color flood in. So it's, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. It's really neat, you know, and it gets big spots all along the sides that are black and they're really neat, you know? And, and again, it was just, it was just cause I was keeping stuff that looked different to me. And I, I think with blood pythons, there's probably a lot of that floating around. Um, and as more and more people work with these animals and and refine their projects and stuff, I think we'll see more more things like that popping up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a question as we kind of come to the end of this. What is your favorite project that you have worked with in the past? And what are you looking forward to most with your collection for the future? 
Uh, Goldeneye for sure is is probably my favorite mutation of any snake. And there's some beautiful mutations out there, um, mm-hmm. but to me, Goldeneye is just they're they're just beautiful. You know, they're 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 special. And uh, and for the future, I mean, pie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, um, I, I I think combining those two things is going to be really fun, and it's just it's it gives us a whole other avenue to explore and, and, and go down. And, and I'm excited for the future of these snakes, you know, in our industry in general, you know, I think that people are starting to see them as uh, more something they want to work with instead of something that they avoided because they were mean or they felt like they had to be kept hot and, and wet and, and they had all these problems, but you know, as more and more people get their hands on them, I think they're starting to really appreciate them for what they are. Yeah. And like you, you know, alluded to earlier, you know, we have a lot of these berm and retic people and they want this big snake, but that is, that's so hard to keep. That is so hard to keep with the the cost of food, (laughs) the, the just amount of space that they're going to take up. That's a lot. That is a lot uh, to have like a big, impressive, you know, animal. And then you have the blood Python, which I think is like a berm in a short body, honestly. Yeah. Um, Because they have that thick body to them. They have some weight to them. They're impressive, but they're not, you know, you can handle them as one person. Yes. And and be safe as one person. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. They're much more manageable. Um, you know, and and they just, you know, the the day that blood Python is born is the worst that it's going to look and it just gets better and better and better. And, uh, you know, and that's one of the greatest things working with them, you know, and, and there's so much variability in them and there's so many directions you can go and you can really just, you can have a lot of fun with these snakes, you know, you really can. And, and I think people are starting to see that and it's, it's really good. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited for, I think it's going to open a lot of doors for blood pythons, but it also makes me nervous because it's going to open a lot of doors for different people to come in. So I'm like, hmm. even in, you know, I've only been working with blood pythons for eight years now. Um, and even in that time span, you know, it, it is just exploded, doubled, if not quadrupled with the people in the Facebook group, the people that know about these animals. Um, but, you know, like we talked about, previously not not on this podcast but you know you you're at a show and you have these animals and people say oh what a cool boa right <laughs> and, you know walk off it's like we're, we're not yet there where people know you know exactly what this animal is and and just all the there, there's just i just i can't even put it into words i just get so excited with how much potential there is how much these animals they're just all so beautiful and they really are you know, just to get, get the word out more that, Hey, these animals are here and they're absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, they're the, the new ball Python. I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the oranges, the yellows, I mean, there's so many cool projects, um, that, that people haven't even thought of yet. And, and, um, I, it's, it's really great. You know, I, I feel the same as you. It's just like, I can't even put into words how, how cool it's been and, and where we're going to go, you know, and, and the people really putting in the work and that's what's, that's really cool to see too, you know, and there's a lot of good people in our community and, and they're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Yep. I absolutely agree. Uh, well, we are about at that time now, Nick. So I appreciate you coming on this podcast 
and dropping some knowledge bombs on us. So thank <laughs> you very much. Well, uh, do you have any, um, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they go to do that? I have a Facebook and Instagram at Cold-Blooded Earth, and I have a website, coldbloodedearth.com. You know, you can feel free to shoot me an email if you have any questions or anything. Um, I have a blog on there, and and uh, which I call the weekly journal, but I don't do it weekly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I really I just called it that, but I don't. <laughs> so um, One day you'll get there. It'll yeah, be exactly. <laughs> you know, when I have enough stuff to say. <laughs> but yeah, you can just find me there and um, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, once that Pied Project gets going and we have some more information with Sunder, we'll have you on again and we can talk about that. Great. Thanks so much, April. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Have a good day. You do. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please feel free to give me a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Bloods by Design. Tag me in your Blood Python photos at Bloods by Design, hashtag Strictly Shorties, so I can share all the awesome animals you listeners have. And if you have any questions, people you want to hear from, or topics to discuss, you can email those to bloodsbydesign at gmail.com. And of course, this podcast is supported by the NPR Network. If you want to get a hold of any of the guys at the NPR Network, you can email them at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. You can follow them on all the socials and, of course, subscribe to the NPR Network YouTube channel. They have a Patreon where you can support all the NPR podcasts, just like this one, as well as merch. And all of that can be found on their website, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next month for more Strictly Shorties.